And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic Hello and welcome to the Race IndyCar podcast. Alongside me is, sorry, I don't know who to credit for this because I read it on Twitter, but apparently Joseph Newgarden called you Pit Lane Jesus, J.R. Hildebrand. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like everyone, including yourself, with the, the self-proclaimed Mr. Driver Guy nickname that you gave yourself, the, I think I feel like everyone's really raising their J.R. Hildebrand nickname game this year. It's actually Speedway Jesus was the, uh, oh, was okay. the original um, moniker. But uh, I'll take, you know, Pit Lane Jesus, it's a little... Uh, is that an old one then, Speed, Speedway Jesus? That, yeah, that I don't know day, where. Then? I think the the photographer group for IndyCar sort of <laughs> came up with that a few years ago, and it managed to stick. So, uh, you no, know, I, I I certainly hope nobody takes any offense to it. It's just for fun, but yeah, you know, I you know you kind of see it. Yeah, exactly. Podcast Jesus and the the media Jesus after Colton Herter shockingly labeled you as one <laughs> yeah. of the media last week, which was I know brilliant. Talking, I of, still don't know what to think about that. <laughs> Talking of last week's episode, uh, we we recorded that before your big news came out, JR. So JR Hildebrand will race on the ovals in IndyCar this year with AJ Foyt in place of Tatiana Calderon, who's just doing the road and street circuits. Um, I say will race. You did race, obviously, last weekend at Texas, but you're not the only person on this podcast who raced at Texas. We've also got podium finisher Marcus Erickson with us. Marcus, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me on again. Uh, it's a pleasure. You're welcome anytime you know this. So a journalist and, and someone who listens to this pod very regularly, Fernando Alonso, I know he's, it's not that Fernando Alonso, it's a different Fernando Alonso, came up with the idea that obviously we missed you off our mid-season top 10 last year and that's basically become famous in uh, the race uh, IndyCar podcast <laughs> now. And uh, But we kissed and made up after that and Fernando had the idea that, Marcus, you should rate J.R. Hildebrand's race at Texas as revenge. What do you reckon about that? Oh, oh, that's a tough one. Oh, I should have prepared. Like, uh, give me, give, give me a couple, give me a couple of races at least, and then, and then, okay. and then let Mar- Marcus can sink his yeah, teeth after in after the end that. Of, end of the last oval, I'm gonna have a report card to. Yeah, we need to do another podcast then, and then I'm gonna have a full report card of. <laughs> JR's uh, performance. Yeah, you do a big report after your races, so you can do a, a big season <laughs> review for, for JR, and then we'll have you on the podcast, and you can we we can ask you questions about it. before we go any further we should do a little rundown of the race in case you missed anything from texas would definitely recommend indycar's 30 minute highlight videos on youtube if you've missed anything and you didn't manage to catch the race because they're always brilliant felix rosenquist took a brilliant pole position for aaron mclaren sp and ran well early on but had a lock up entering his pit box in his second stop and that was after a bad first stop and then he retired shortly after with more bad luck. And his teammate, Pato Award, also looked racy on, but hit his front right tyre changer in a stop. Luckily, he was okay. And then had to change the front wing, so he went a lap down and eventually finished 15th. So going back to the front, Scott McLaughlin did the majority of leading, but Joseph Newgarden looked quite ominous after his car was transformed at the first round of stops there. A few big crashes kind of stymied the, the middle of the race and created uh, a one-stop dash to the finish late on. 
Uh, McLaughlin appeared to be in control, but traffic held him up. And then Newgarden dived around the outside of the last corner on the last lap to drag race him to the win, which was uh, great for Joseph, not so good for Scott McLaughlin. But I think the fans kind of enjoyed that one, even if it was um, on on new fan favourite Scott McLaughlin. He took it well, coming so close um, to a second win in a row. And Marcus Ericsson did what you might call a Marcus Ericsson by going from 14th to the podium to round out the the top three. A classic, classic Ericsson. <laughs> a classic Marcus Ericsson. Um, well, yeah, and no one notices it. Either, so it, was, it was <laughs> well, it's like you, you get. I gotta say, I've I've been here before too. That it's like at Texas. It's one of the besides Indy. It's like the one other place that if you if you end up on the podium, there's no actual podium, so you don't get any. Yeah, you don't get I know, any of the right? pictures. You don't surprised. get any of the stuff. Like... Um, but. I was like, where's the podium? Where are we going? Yeah, like, and where I am I like, supposed to drive no, the you car? Get this cap, no, you just... Yeah, you get this cap. Some, maybe some people will come <laughs> out and talk to you on pit lane. Um, <laughs> well, look, Marcus, we'll stop. We'll start with you, obviously, since you're here. Um, that's, I, I think, one of the things that maybe dating back to last year, you know, listeners of the pod, IndyCar fans might not realize, is that's 11 races in the last 12 you've been in the top 10. Pretty incredible. I mean, obviously, we, we talked about you know, at the end of the year last year, quite a run towards the end of the season, but now starting this year off um, in strong form as well. Um, that, you know, that's got to make you feel pretty good about just where your squad is at. Um, how does that make you feel about the championship and sort of your prospects there? Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. You know, that's first of all, a very cool stat because that shows how consistent we've been uh, since, you know, the 500 last year, really. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think this year as well, in particular, it felt like me and the whole eight car group have stepped it up another level. I, you know, I thought already in St. Pete, we qualified, uh, a, a career best eighth on a street course for me. And then, you know, I was racing, I was fourth there before I got my pit lane penalty, which I thought was really harsh, but that obviously put us back to 25th and then throw away up to a top 10 uh so that was a really really strong performance already in St. Pete that should have been you know at least a top five or, or a podium um but that's racing and then yeah but yeah follow it up with a podium in Texas I think that just shows the the improvement me we've made as a group in the off season and uh, it makes me like you say very excited for, for the rest of the championship gotta say Marcus the the Texas race felt good to me because it's been you might say a Scott Dixon stronghold for for a little while now, and uh, it is a place where Ganassi has been has been great, obviously. But you were clearly the standout performer from from the team in the race, so that must be you know boosting confidence, especially given uh, you know I know you've watched so much on board of of Dixie at Texas and on ovals specifically, trying to to improve your your craft there. Obviously, coming to that as a a kind of uh, a new starter on, on oval. So yeah, I guess that must've given you some confidence to, to know that you're leading the team at a place where it's been so good in the past. Yeah, for sure. And and that was, you know, one of the big areas where I put a lot of focus uh, in the off season, uh, you know, analyzing my previous uh, year. Um, it was quite clear. If you look at the statistics that the oval performance was uh, what was lacking mainly for, for me uh, I think I was second or third on the Rodent Street Course Championship and, and on the ovals I think I was around 15th or something like that so you know um, you can't win a championship if you score that little amount of points in, in the oval races uh, so that was one of the big areas we focused on in the off season both myself and the 8 car group and uh, like you said I've been studying a lot of data and onboards and 
watch back races and stuff like that to really try and understand um how to race on an oval you know i i felt comfortable very quickly on ovals and and i feel like i've had the, the speed on ovals from pretty much my first season but as jr can can also uh you know confirm uh being fast on an oval is one thing but to race on an oval is a very different thing and, and sort of understand the racing and and being on top of your tools and, and being tactical and thinking ahead and, and the timing and all those things is what makes a difference. And I think that's something that I've been working a lot on to improve. And it was really, really good to see that it seemed to have paid off with, uh, with that strong uh, result we got the, this past weekend. Yeah, no, you're definitely right. And there's a lot a lot that goes into it. I, I'm curious, just in terms of the, looking through the data and kind of going through this process, what were some of the things you've got? Scott Dixon, who by all accounts is one of the best to ever do it. And certainly in this generation, you know, he's, he's the benchmark, the sort of gold standard for this kind of stuff. Um, what were, I can, can you kind of explain a little bit of just what maybe a couple of insights that you've gleaned from looking into his data and kind of analyzing what he does best might be. Jack, do you see here, JR is trying to get, you know, some pointers here because, you know, he's a competitor here. So I'm, I'm not sure what to answer here. <laughs> getting me worried. I'm just, a me- I'm just a member of the media. Okay. It's fine. When you pass me in the 500 on the last lap now, you know, he's going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to regret You answer but, however you want, Marcus. <laughs> no, but joking aside, I think, you know, one of the things that I've been studying a lot with Scott is just the way he's timing uh, his throttle usage, you know, on the ovals. I think that's something that the experienced guys seem to be very good at sort of timing and, and also thinking ahead, you know, looking further ahead, not focusing so much on the car just in front of you, but looking like three or four cars ahead and then the timing you go on and off the throttle and what fights to pick and when in a, in a race, because that's obviously also important uh, on an oval to to not you know burn off your tires or your fuel when you don't have to and 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 things like that i think is is something that scott is obviously a master at so that's uh, what i've been focusing a lot on and I, I saw last year quite a few times in races where i was sort of maybe overusing tires or fuel on unnecessary uh, moments of the race and then that's something like i said I, I i picked up quite a lot on that what the Scott is doing different there. And and I felt like that was a step forward for me this, this time. Just a, a quick, sorry, just a quick follow-up there because I, I think it's quite important to, 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 to kind of raise this coming from a, a European background, Marcus. But how difficult was that initial phase for you just learning what to ask for from the car and, and things like that? Because you, you've got so much of a challenge coming to, a, uh, coming to an oval where on a street or a road course, you kind of know what the car's doing and, and you roughly know what to ask your, your engineer for, or, or you know the the feedback that you need to give your engineer for them to, to fix your issues or, or at least come up with a, with a compromise. But when you come to an oval for the first time, obviously the car's doing some some weird things that you don't really understand. The, the data's difficult to, to understand because you kind of just, you, your throttle's just flat all the way around, like somewhere like Texas. And then you're kind of dealing with the... I guess when you first come over as well, you're dealing with switching from things like uh, liters to gallons and, and and millimeters to to feet and inches and, and stuff like that as well. So talk a little bit about that initial challenge as well, because that must be something that you guys really have to get your head around. Yeah, it was definitely quite different to what I was used to. Something I I've you know been a bit surprised with at least at the start was how you know the smallest of changes can really change the way the car feels on a, on an oval, especially on like super speedways because you have so high speeds and 
high loads. So, you know, you make some small adjustment on the setup and it can really, you know, really, really change the way the car feels and behaves out there. So that's something that, uh, that I've learned, you know, that, uh, you can really, you know, go in a good or a bad way with the setup very quickly. Um, and then, uh, I think also another thing is just staying on top of your tools before the, the balance goes out of your hands, because that's the thing, especially in the beginning, I would, you know, get under zero, over zero, whatever. And then it's too late on a noble. You need to adjust your tools in the car before you start getting in the under zero, over zero balance, because then it's too late and you're already overstressing that axle. So things like that, I think is, uh, where the experience, uh, is really paying off. So we've got to ask about Jimmy Johnson as well, your other teammate, um, sixth on his oval debut, and now suddenly everybody's declaring him an Indy 500 win threat, um, which may or may not be, you know, a little bit of a reach. But um, from inside the team, how impressive was he over the weekend? I mean, I got to say, I drove around him through the middle of the race, like those last couple of stints. Um, we passed back and forth, and and I was sort of in that mix of cars with him and him and Alex and a few other drivers for a little bit of of that period of time driving around him. I was impressed, honestly, like he looked like he was comfortable. He was using a little bit of the second lane. Um, you know, I mean, I saw him go by your other teammate, Alex below. I mean, that's, that's no mean feat. So, um, just curious what the feeling was from inside the team and, and what your kind of general perspective, um, on, on him this weekend, maybe versus kind of the vibe that you get from the 48 on a road and street course weekend. Yeah. I think all of the team, including myself was very impressed with, with Jimmy this weekend. I think we all sort of expected him to be, uh, you know, more competitive on the oval since that's sort of his, uh, uh, home turf or whatever. Uh, but obviously the Indy cars are very different cars to, to what he was used to driving uh, all his career. So even though, you know, we thought he was going to be a, a stronger this weekend to, to finish sixth. And then, you know, uh, he was fifth until about the last lap and Dixie got him back. I think that was, uh, yeah, super impressive. And, you know, I, I think like you said as well, I watched back the race and the way he was using the second lane in three, four and the pass he was making. And it was pretty impressive, man. I was, uh, yeah, I was very impressed. So for being his first oval race on, in an IndyCar, that was, uh, was very cool to see. And and it just shows how how good he is on the ovals. And uh, I was also really happy for him because he's been you know it's been such a big challenge uh, what he's taken on you know to jump the IndyCar at this stage of his career and and how hard of a time he's had on the road and street courses and and to get a result like this uh, I think was uh, was so cool to see and I'm so happy for Jimmy because he's been working really really hard as well. Yes, yeah, awesome to see how well he's done and like you said he's been through such a you know, a challenging period with the the road and street course stuff being, you know, the way that's been interpreted. And I don't think he necessarily cares about what the media says or, or what fans say about his performances on the road and street circuits because, you know, he's doing what he wants to do and and, and why not? He's earned the right as a seven-time NASCAR champion to come and do whatever championship in the world he wants to do. And for me, I think, um, 
you know, we've, we might not have seen the immediate impact of him on uh, road and street circuits, but given he's got no single seater experience or, you know, has not been a prolific uh, road road course racer in, in NASCAR either. I think he's, he's done a, a phenomenal job. Just wanted to move on to one of the other big stories of the, the weekend. And that was the IndyCar ran a, a session on Saturday in practice to try and rubber up the troublesome higher groove, the kind of second lane to try and create some overtaking for anyone who doesn't know much about Texas uh, a few years back, the, for the NASCARs, they put some some PJ1 compound down onto the track, um, onto the track, and that's kind of made things really, really slippy for the for the Indy cars when they move up into that into that second groove. And basically, the last two or three years, really, it's been very difficult to to get up into that lane and, and to overtake. We've seen people make kind of one off moves and, and make them stick, uh, and and that's been about it. Really, we've not seen much side by side racing, but that definitely was the case uh, this weekend. We saw plenty of moves. We saw plenty of people getting it wrong as well. Uh, to be fair, but. Um, I think uh, it's definitely worth pointing out that that session seemed to to make a difference. Um, JR, what did you kind of make of that whole thing? Um, I want to come to you first on on that because obviously you took part in the race. What, how much of a difference do you think that that session made on on the Saturday there? I think the biggest difference, frankly, was just that it opened everybody's eyes to the fact that at least in certain circumstances it was possible to run up there. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, I can't say that I really think that it rubbered in the track to a degree that that mattered a lot or that that was that was the difference maker in it being usable i think it was just kind of an indicator to everybody watching that you know okay and i mean over the last couple of years and marcus you can speak to this better than i can just because the last time i raced at texas it was right after they had repaved it so they didn't yet have the pj1 uh, but but looking back to at that point that was 2017 you know the the higher the upper group, you know, the, whatever second and third lanes were very usable through three and four at that point, but it was even kind of hard to make, to get the second lane to come in before the PJ one, after they re, you know, surfaced one and two. So uh, before they re when they repaved it between 16 and 17, um, they also regraded one and two, like it's got less banking than it used to. Um, and so I guess it, it all of that, being said, um, I was kind of skeptical of the rubbering in process. To me, it was basically just going to be kind of like, all right, have they, have they gone back and fire, you know, Firestone's done a bunch of work. The track has done some work to try to just resurface where the PJ one is when we saw those cars go out to me, it was basically just going to be like, okay, well, can they run up there or not? Um, and in, and if they could go up there and run two Oh five or 210 or something by running partially on the PJ one for half the track. That's a huge improvement over what it's been. I mean, clearly watching the races over the last couple of years, it's like, you just touch the stuff at all and you're going to crash. Like there's, you can't touch it once in the entire race. Like you can't even risk it or else you're, you know, it's 75% chance. You're just going to find yourself in the wall. Um, and so they've obviously made a, a huge improvement. You saw it during the race. Not everybody could run up there. I think it was still a little bit dependent on how the car was working and where you were at in your stint. And it was still, you know, you saw guys get just a little too far into it and found themselves in the wall. But, um, you know, clearly a, a, a significant improvement over where it was at. And um, I think, you know, brought the racing into an interesting window, which was that it was still pretty hard. It was still dependent. You still had to like, you know, risk it a little bit to, to run in that second lane. You still had to have the car working, but 
clearly some guys were able to do it. The downforce was sort of, I think, in the right window for this to be a tough but still exciting event. Marcus, what, what do you make on this? Um, obviously, you're a bit newer to oval racing than, than JR, but you've done the, the Texas race since you since you came over. How noticeable was it for you? And did it make you feel you know, a little bit more comfortable kind of venturing up there, you know, even though you're obviously not a rookie on ovals anymore and you, you've, you've displayed that you're quite clearly, you know, capable of getting some great results on, on ovals, but it just, did it just make you feel a little bit more comfortable as a driver kind of venturing up there? Yeah, I think, you know, they really, uh, the track was definitely very different to the last two years we've been there. Uh, like JR says, uh, it was impossible to go after the last two years, like you would crash. And, and now you had a second lane working in both one and two and three and four. And I think, for, for me, uh, I think it was a combination of the rubber ringing. It definitely helped because it showed people that you could run there. Uh, the extra downforce we had this year, I think, also helped. And the fact that it was uh, early in the year, so it was not, you know, 100 degrees or something like that. So we, that also helped a bit to get some more, you know, grip in the track. Um, so, so, yeah, I think, you know, the racing was extremely fun uh, this weekend. It was really you know uh, really cool to to race and also to watch i think that it was really entertaining and but also like jr says it's, it wasn't like it was as soon as you got up to someone you could just go in second lane and pass them it was like you still had to commit and you still it was sketchy up there but you could do it and uh and that's for, for me that's how it should be so i think they really really got it perfect this weekend with the with the conditions and and it gave us a, a great race to to drive and watch yeah, I'm not sure how exciting it was at 210 miles an hour, but it was pretty exciting to watch from the TV at home. I've got to say that. Um, but Marcus, I guess, uh, while we've still got you here, I just wanted to to come back to St. Pete for a minute, the, the opening round. And just in case the listeners didn't read my fantastic feature on it last month where um, I had to ring you twice because the, the first time the audio corrupted on my laptop and we had to do the whole interview all over again. You were um, in contention for for a podium, I think, there until you had a, a pit lane penalty and that dropped you to the back of the field. And then, obviously, you, you you went from the back of the field to to ninth place, one of the best uh, ninth places I remember seeing in in kind of uh, recent racing history. How, how does that kind of race rank in your career? And how do you think that, you know, kind of shows people how much of a title contender you are based on that? Yeah, it was definitely one of my better races. I think, you know, it would have been really fun to see you know how good the race could have been without that penalty uh because i was really strong on that first stint and then looking at the last stint uh i think uh, i was the you know the fastest car on track that whole last stint uh, when i got free air and and you know drove my way up to to the top 10 again so it was definitely a really strong performance from from us and um it's very encouraging for for the rest of the year uh you know, in, in the off season again, we, we have worked, like I told you, on the ovals, but also we worked a lot on, on trying to get the car a little bit more to my sort of driving style and my liking. Uh, so sort of been tweaking a bit of things on the base setup and it seemed to be working both in Sebring and St. Pete. And, and I think that showed. And, uh, I'm hoping that will sort of continue throughout the year because then we can be really, really really a threat for that championship well Marcus thanks so much for joining us I know you're, uh, you've squeezed us in here after the Texas race so we really appreciate it and we're looking forward to getting you back on if not before then at the end of the oval race season when you give JR some stick hopefully yeah I'm gonna start making notes here for my report card it's gonna be, gonna be fun <laughs> <laughs> why, why are you still here go away and start making your notes like you're wasting yeah. time <laughs> yeah exactly alright thanks for having me guys 
Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So that was Marcus Erickson. Big, uh, big props to him for joining us again and, and having a lot of fun with us about our little uh, missing him out of the mid-season rankings last year, as always. And he always comes back on for more torture or or pleasure, depending on how he views it. I'm not really sure. Jr. probably probably feels like it's more torture than uh, than pleasure. But um, yeah, what? Well, at least at least he has the benefit of being able to say yes or no coming on here. I'm just stuck on this <laughs> thing, so. <laughs> Whether my weekends go well or not, we got to talk about. You them. still, uh, you know, you can still, uh, you can still refuse. There's still time to to leave. You can still. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've, I mean, you've been here for like 35 minutes now, so I mean, it's a bit late now, but maybe you can uh, you can skip the next one. You did go up at like 6 a.m. to record this, so we uh, we appreciate you as always, Jr. But I guess we should talk a little bit about a few more of the the storylines from Texas, just briefly. Um, what, what do you make about the whole, um, the kind of debate about Texas's future? Because <laughs> I think that's been a, a big social media topic, even if it's not been necessarily um, a huge topic in the paddock, although I know people have been talking about this. Where, where do you see Texas futures, Texas future in the IndyCar series? And would you like to see it back? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I guess I think it sort of comes down to a couple of things. One is just the quality of the racing and, and, and where can we get to with that? Um, what we saw this weekend was obviously a huge improvement um, you know, for, for us from inside the cockpit, from being there, and, and this is probably shaded by my experience there over a longer period of time that this place is really fun when you know that you can really use all the track. And so I guess my perspective from that, or, you know, at least from that point of view or through that lens is if they can do what they did and then even get a little more out of it in terms of what we, you know, because even this weekend, as an example, you saw a lot of guys able to use sort of a, a, a lane two or a lane one and a half. Um, you know, the reason that we didn't go any further up than that, or you saw guys get into trouble when it wasn't any further up than that is kind of the further up the track. I mean, sometimes to be able to make those passes, you need to go into like completely into a second lane. The second lane, the quote unquote second lane that we were using here was basically straddling a seam on the track between the bottom and the second lane. So it's just because the cars are narrow enough, you can kind of make a second lane out of, or a second groove out of, you know, basically the top of the first lane. Um, it just makes it, I guess, from my perspective, sort of unnecessarily dicey. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the incidents that you saw were, were stuff that you want to be able to make those passes and commit to that second groove and have a car be, have it be three wide going into three and four, um, and have the car that's on the top, be able to stay there. Um, so, so I guess to me, there's still some improvement that hopefully could happen. Uh, you know, we've gone through this whole weekend. We've seen what the, we've seen the effect of the, you know, work that was done, you know, so doing a bit more of a, a analysis and study into understanding, can we, can we make that even better? Can we get even more out of that? Marcus brought up a great point 
um, that this was not that hot. Track temps were not that high. Um, it was, I, I bumped into Jimmy and, but I don't know on the, I think during the autograph session on Saturday. So between qualifying and the second practice prior to cars going out and doing that run-in session. And he was saying, you know, with the NASCAR stuff or in NASCAR with the PJ one, it basically gets that sort of compound gets fired up by it getting hot. Um, and so that sort of makes you wonder, all right, had we had a hot day, would that have, would that have made it unusable? You know, I don't, I don't really know for the IndyCar stuff. So there's still some question marks, I guess, in terms of track prep. Um, and that affects basically just the show from the outside, like the, the, the show on TV. The other part of it is, is I guess at the end of the day, we'll just kind of call a spade a spade here that nobody likes showing up to a racetrack that doesn't look like there's anybody there. And so I don't really know what the answer to that is. And, and I guess I'm not, I'm not sure as an IndyCar fan, that doesn't feel good sort of like to be there and, and have it a part of it. The place is so big. I don't know what the actual attendance is, but it's not like that's been growing over time. Uh, as we've gone to Texas, maybe that's maybe part of that is just that the show hasn't been great. Like we've gone through these ups and downs at this place, you know, that the track has gone from being somewhere that seemed quintessentially oval racing in an Indy car to really not being that or not being what people identify, you know, as a great Indy car oval race. I don't, you know, it's so, so it makes it really hard to say, I guess the, the, I don't, I don't have like a, a totally straightforward answer here, but, um, I, I think we just kind of have to come to terms. If I'm thinking about it from IndyCar's perspective, we have to kind of understand where is this at? What are the pros and cons right now? How do we look at this event? It, it's, it's great to have a race like this on the IndyCar schedule. You know, I mean, it's, it's great to have these kinds of events where you have like sort of a little bit of the old school IRL DNA coming out where you have a finish. Like we just had Joseph getting by Scott on the last lap and like a, you know, six tenths of a second margin or whatever. I mean, those are the kinds of finishes at least that these, that tracks like this and Texas in particular used to produce all the time and used to be, that used to just be you know, did, did I like having there be five or six of these kinds of races on the schedule? Honestly, not really. Um, but to have one of them there, it does feel like this is, there's a part of kind of like IndyCar history and DNA that's, that's built into from an era of IndyCar that a lot of people really enjoyed. Um, you know, it's, it's nice to have that, that disciplinary difference in terms of what we do still on the schedule. Um, I think at the end of the day, it just kind of comes down to like, can we reconcile the attendance and, and can we, can we really figure this out so that it feels like the full Monty in terms of getting, getting that kind of extracting that value out of having it on the schedule. And so, um, I don't really know. I mean, the fact that we're, we're sort of answering this question and it keeps coming up makes me wonder that alone makes me wonder about kind of the uh there being some hesitancy to to keep coming back but we'll just kind of have to wait and see i don't i don't know i don't think that there's a i don't think there's a strong feeling one way or the other that that this is totally resolved going forward well i think 
you, you've obviously raised a lot of really good points there, as you usually do when it comes to especially over racing. I think the, the, the one thing I've been kind of disappointed with is this this talk still seems to be going on, you know, immediately after a phenomenal race. <laughs> I yeah. mean, no, no one could have watched that race and decided, you know, I think it, had there not been talk pre-weekend about Texas's, you know, place in the on the IndyCar calendar and you hadn't seen the kind of relatively empty stands and then you watch that race, you wouldn't even dream about questioning whether that race should be on the calendar or not. And I think it's quite disappointing that the, the talk has continued. And but my kind of, I don't, I don't want to be really pessimistic about this and, and maybe I'm coming at this from a too much of a, a cynical kind of journalistic direction. But my feeling is that, you know, there's no ready-made oval that is similar to Texas that we can go to that is going to guarantee that you get a lot more fans and a lot better, you know, racing. I think this is a part of a wider problem of getting fans to oval races in, in the likes of IndyCar and it's not specific to Texas. And the one thing that Texas has done is especially this weekend shown how willing it is to, to try things. And, you know, it's ripped up most of the, the PJ one it's, it's, you know, IndyCar has, has worked with Texas to, to add a, a practice session to try and rubber in this this top groove and that you know they're cl- clearly trying to improve their their product and you know I take the point about the fans that was really disappointing to see that I think Jenna Fryer from from the AP described it as being like a tire test which is a pretty damning indictment of of, of what it felt like and what the the atmosphere was and obviously you gave your thoughts on that having having been there and, and competed JL but I think it's I think we shouldn't be looking at Texas here necessarily as long as they continue to put the effort in that they have done. I think we should be looking at oval racing in general and the risk of moving away from tracks where you may think the grass is greener and in actual fact that might not be the case. But yeah, it's a it's a, it's a a topical story that will continue to be topical. I'm, talk, I'm sure we were talking about this last year, JR, and I'm sure we'll be talking about it next year. Um, so we'll keep an eye on that one. A couple of other bits I wanted to wrap up. There was a, a bit of a nightmare day for, for Andretti. Obviously, Alexander Rossi jumped the start, and then before he could serve his penalty for jumping the start, he had a, uh, an issue there and had to retire. And then not long after, Roman Grosjean was out as well, having, after having a, a relatively sensible and, and good-looking run there. So that was disappointing to see for Andretti. And then Colton Herta had uh, an issue with his front left wheel, didn't he, in the, in the final? Was it the final stop or was it the penultimate stop? It was, it was late on anyway, and that really took him out of uh, wing contention as well. Also wanted to give a shout out to Santino Ferrucci, who found out he was driving about three hours before the race, I think, and and managed to to drive into the top 10 there for Ray Hull, Letterman Lanigan, after Jack Harvey had, had crashed in practice and didn't pass the, I think it was the concussion protocols that he didn't pass uh, ahead of the race there. So great to see Santino, um, you know, rocking up at the track and just having a look around and seeing how things are going. And then uh, a couple of hours later, was in an IndyCar and, and scoring a top 10 from the back of the grid, which was, which was really impressive. JR, the story emerged after we recorded, as we'd expected, that Colton Herter was going to get some some time with with McLaren in, in F1 to get a test. I'm sure you'll be very excited about that, knowing how much you've kind of um, you know been a been a supporter of the the fact that more American drivers should be elite. Well, not just American drivers for you, is it? It's just anyone from a different championship should be getting a go in these cars and and, and seeing the the kind of crossover. Well, it, and and Colton, yeah, and yeah. Colton in particular yeah. for sure. I mean, yeah, you know. definitely a well-deserved thing there. But what what emerged not long after that was uh, maybe it's not that di- it's it's not directly related. But the fact that Pato Waters confirmed that he's um, you know it, it has the potential to be looking away from Aaron McLaren SP at the end of the season, which I think came as a bit of a bombshell to to a lot of people. What's your kind of interpretation of 
of um, you know this story and what's happened here, the timing of it, and you know from what we've seen so far, obviously the full story hasn't really come out in terms of uh, what's changed there or, or what has made Pato um, you know feel this way. But there's definitely some um, can we say discontent? I think we can um, in in the ranks there. What, what do you make of this story? I'm not really. I mean, frankly, I'm not really sure what to make of it yet. I mean, this is this is me not yet being a full media member because I'm not I'm not ready to commit to. Um, being strongly opinionated about this at the moment, but you have you have had the small matter of being involved in a motor racing weekend as well. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't blame you for uh, holding off a little bit on this one. But no, it's, it's, let, let's just yeah, say, no, I, let's say it's 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 a surprise, isn't it? And uh, it's it's got to get the silly season market, you know, flowing pretty early now for, for 2023 with the fact that the teams now know that Pato is uh, on the market there. Yeah, I guess I think that Pato Pato's been quick to um speak his mind and he's uh, just in general you know we had him in the we had him on the pod and i felt like he was like he's answering questions more transparently than i think i would you know <laughs> um that uh that's kind of just how he is i feel like and and i'm not going to knock him for that at all because it's a it's a breath of fresh air to just hear guys kind of say things how they see them, you know, and, um, in, in a general sense, there's obvious, I think this comes from a place of a little bit of frustration. Uh, and I don't know if that's, I don't know if there's a little bit of spillover of feeling like maybe they, I don't know, seeing what other teams are doing to up their game and not being sure whether, whether they're doing that or, uh, it's, it's hard to, really put my finger on why he would feel that way at this point. Part of it could certainly be that he's, he's gone from being kind of the, the darling of the potential F1 crossover at the end of the year last year to maybe he feels I could, I could imagine feeling like, well now, but Colton's the guy that's actually gotten this more clear cut opportunity that seems a little more committed and that there's a potentially a bit more of a long-term outlook on it. Um, so I, I don't, I, I'm not going to look too far into it in just in terms of trying to guess what Pato's feeling about all of that, but you know, he's, he's a guy that's definitely, he's in the same window that Colton is basically in terms of if there's going to be, if there's, if he's going to have a shot at F1, it's got to be now and it's got to be, got to be soon. And it's got to work out basically, you know, it's, uh, and so from his perspective, I think he's probably looking at both on the IndyCar side and looking at looking to Europe, he's got a pretty narrow window to make some moves here and make some things happen. And he's not the type of guy, as we know, that's going to sit around and wait for stuff to just fall on his lap, I don't think. And so um, maybe this is just sort of an opening salvo to, hey, I got some options. Just making sure that everybody knows that, you know, I'm not just going to stay here just because. And uh, can you blame him for that? You know, is that, is that the right move? I don't know. Can you blame him for it? No. And so we'll see, I think we'll just have to kind of see how it shakes out. Yeah, this, you know, this is a thing that we maybe don't talk about so much uh, in the media, but we probably should do more is that, you know, Pato is, 
maybe he's not quite in his in his prime yet. Maybe that's to come, but he's got a responsibility to make sure he's putting himself in the best position as much as McLaren has. So I, yeah. I think I think Pato is well within his rights to be um, you know, addressing the options that are out there and making sure that he's protecting his future because he, like Herta, is clearly one of the most exciting drivers on the grid. And it, for, for my mind, has has proven maybe potentially even more than Colton, but but at least on par that he, that he is a future champion or someone who is capable of because of we know how difficult that car is to drive and he's got a stupendous record against teammates since he since he came into to Aaron McLaren SP. We know how difficult that car is to drive and he's the one who's you know taken it to a championship charge last year. Would have finished second in the championship if he hadn't been taken out stupidly in, in the last race last year, most likely. So. I think he's he's earned the right to to get his just reward and to make sure that he's you know looking after his his future. In my opinion, I think that's where he's at. And personally, I don't think it's anything to do with the F1 side. Although I have seen that obviously people making that connection. I think it was unfortunate that this news came out at the same time as Colton getting the the F1 uh, yeah. junior junior outings because it made it look like it was related. But for me, I think Pato already knew the situation there because. You know, both uh, you know, Ricciardo signed through twenty three, so Pato knew there's no, you know, there's no immediate chances to to be a Formula One driver with McLaren there. I don't think anything has happened there that would have changed his mind. So yeah, we'll keep an eye on that one, Jr. It's a, a very interesting story. And if we already thought, you know, we did the preseason pod and we already thought twenty twenty three silly season was going to be phenomenal anyway with the likes of Alexander Rossi and, and Rina Spike in the mix. Now we've got Pato Award, which is absolutely <laughs> phenomenal. That's only going to make things even more interesting. JR, uh, anything you want to kind of highlight from your weekend? Obviously, you're back in a car for the first time outside of Indy since 2017, so it must have been uh, a bit of a bit of a flash in the pan for you, I imagine, without a serious amount of testing or, or getting used to this kind of new Texas, if you like. Um, how, how do you feel about the whole weekend? And, and is there anything that kind of jumped out to you that you wanted to raise on the pod? No, I think uh, I appreciate you asking. We um, we sort of on the eleven car at, at AJ Foyt Racing. We um, we just had a bit of a teething sort of experience, getting getting up to speed, getting getting things going on Saturday. We had a couple of issues that we didn't really sort out until we didn't realize were we knew something was kind of off and didn't didn't understand the root uh, root cause of our issues until after the day was was completely over. So a, a huge tip of the cap and kudos to the guys for, you know, I know this all sounds very cryptic, but you know, figuring out what we had going on on Saturday at the end of the day made, made for us sort of, uh, it was like starting from scratch in the race to some degree, just with the car, which was not ideal, but, um, great to be back out there. And, you know, I think one of the things that definitely stood out to me was just, just the level that IndyCar is at right now, it, it, you know, we've, we've said this, but I experienced it this weekend that no matter how much experience you have, no matter how good you are, no matter how, you know, whatever, how, how well you overcome your obstacles over the course of a weekend or whatever, um, the field is just totally stacked. Like there's no gimmies. You're not going to, you're not going to beat anybody at this point by just going out and doing a good job. And so, um, you know, I, I, we, we knew that. And, and I, as we were going through it, we knew that that was what was going to be happening. But, um, even on race day, it's kind of like, all right, you know, you got to giddy up and, and get going out there. We, we benefited from, 
I think one of one of the things, and Marcus sort of alluded to it over the course of the pod. Um, you know, one of the things that I think ex- comes with experience in oval racing, and and I think part of my maybe part of my role within the AJ Foyt team is to to bring a little bit of patience uh, just to, to the table, you know, and and make sure that everybody recognizes how much that is important in a you know 375 mile race, let alone a 500 mile race going to Indy. That there are times when you know, if your stuff's not great or whatever, you got to not push and you got to just kind of settle in and you got to let, let some things happen and let other people make mistakes. And that's going to be a part of how you move up through the field. Um, you know, so we, we relied on that, I think in, in the absence of having a lot of preparation and feeling like we were really dialed going to race day, that was kind of part of our strategy and it, and it worked out. Okay. You know, we ended up ended up at, at some times banging on the door of top tens and of the top 10 and just couldn't basically just couldn't hang there, um, when we were there, but, um, you know, for us, it's a, it's a good weekend to kind of, for me in particular, not having had races leading up to the 500 in the past few years, it's definitely just a good sort of shaking off the cobwebs for, for everybody on the squad for oval racing and gives us a really good, you know, bit of info to identify. All right you know, we've been through some of this stuff. So obviously we won't have those things happen at the speedway. It's nice to get that out of the way. Um, what are, what else do we know that we need to focus on now, you know, and, and what can we, what can we bring out of this? I got to say, we didn't talk about them all at the pod here. I was super impressed with Kirkwood over the course of the weekend. You know, we had, we kind of had our issues, so they were leading the charge more or less in terms of what was going on. Dalton did a great job out qualified, you know, the four car out qualified both of us. Um, but during the race, I mean, Kyle definitely, you know, there's a, there's a restart video cruising around Twitter, which you should definitely watch. Um, you know, I mean, I think for me, even having, having that, having somebody on the team, who's obviously really good, who doesn't have the experience of racing on oval races, uh, putting the car in some places, you know, he got caught out by maybe putting the car in some places that, you know, I wouldn't have or something, but, um, at the same time, it's, it's good to have that other side of the equation to, to sort of know where the limitations are of what you can do. And sometimes when you, I mean, I remember being a rookie coming into these events with no preconceptions, basically of what I, where I could put the car or where I couldn't. And so you just go try stuff. Um, and so I was, I was just impressed with his sort of willingness to, to go hang it out. And, uh, I think he's going to be a threat at the rest of the oval races and I'm looking forward to working with him and, and of course, Dalton over the course of the rest of the year. So, um, a lot going on at Texas. And I mean, from my, from my point of view, although it wasn't sort of a, a perfectly put together weekend, nice to just get back out there and, and be in the, be in the thick of it. Yeah, for sure. I was going to ask you about Kyle, but you, you've, Brilliantly address that for me, so I don't need to so much. I think I, I don't know if this is um, this. This was before you um, obviously officially joined Foyt last year, Jr. But I, I do feel like last year Texas was a turning point in the wrong direction for the team in the sense that Sebastian had a, a phenomenal, you know, opening round at, at Barber. Uh, but when we got to Texas, obviously he's, he had the incident with with Joe New, and 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 that really uh, annoyed him. And obviously. That was a, a costly and expensive weekend for Foyt where it felt like after that, the team was kind of 
I don't want to say chasing its tail because it is that makes it sound like a negative towards the team. I don't think it was anything that was their fault. It was just a, you know, the 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 reality of you know what extensive crash damage can do to a, a small budget when when you come to IndyCar. So it, it felt like last year Texas was a, a negative turning point for the team for the for the season. But this year, I don't know. I know I know Kyle obviously crashed, but the I think you're very consistent and sensible kind of approach to to the race where a lot of people went out and, and put themselves in in silly places or places that they didn't need to be at specific moments, even sort of in the first 20 to 50 laps, never mind sort of halfway through the race, which is obviously unnecessary when the race is that long. But it also felt like Kyle's pace as well, in addition to your kind of consistency, really, it felt like a, a kind of nice dynamic and it felt like a, a positive, even though we leave with with Kyle obviously not having the finish that that he deserved for the second time in, in a race, arguably. But yeah, it feels like good times ahead for, for you guys. How, how much, JR, how much does Texas kind of, what does it do for Indy for, for you guys? I mean, I know the, the setups are different and they're totally different tracks, but obviously you didn't get Texas last year or, or any races before the 500. What what does it do for your preparation in terms of getting to the 500? Does it, does it make you a little bit sharper and, and the team a little bit sharper kind of going in, do you think? I think for sure. I mean, I was, I was sort of, hoping that this weekend would be something where, you know, we roll off, we got to have a pretty good feel for where we're at. We'd come off of Kyle had done a test day, which I had hung out for the whole day. We felt like we had a good direction with him, you know, in terms of where the car was going. I mean, just, just kind of running through how our weekend actually went and how that affects things. You know, like I said, we had things be pretty sideways for the whole day on Saturday. You know, the cars, none of the cars qualified well. Um, you know, on paper, then you, then you end up with Kyle crashing on, on race day, you know, I guess, like I said, on, on the stat sheet at the end of the day, maybe that doesn't look that different from a pretty upside down weekend that they had last year. But the reality of it was, you know, for us to be able to turn things around on our car and end up, you know, we ended up 14th, which is nothing special, but coming from the back, um, and having a lot of issues, that was a, pretty, we were, we were happy with that just in terms of kind of notching a result basically after, uh, after going through some stuff, um, you know, and Kyle as a, you know, I think in terms of his mindset and the mindset of the team definitely showed that glimmer of, you know, sort of the incredible potential of what the young guy can go do. Um, and as a, I mean, I can remember as a rookie that when I was at Panther, it didn't always end up actually working out this way, but certainly for a period of time, the team would much rather have had me go out there and end up firing it into the wall, hustling my way up to the front and doing whatever I thought I could to do that than sitting around and just collecting a, you know, collecting a 10th or something. And so, um, you know, obviously Kyle, Kyle will learn from this and, and he'll have to translate that into, you know, you, you don't want to be doing that all the time. You know, you got some point, you got to like put it all together and, and end up with the result that you could have had and understand, understand when it's okay to, when it's a good thing to be willing to risk kind of having the thing on the edge and, and when you have to have a little bit more patience and just kind of understand like, all right, I don't need to be here right this second. You know, I'm not get I'm not going to end up getting a lot of value out of this in terms of where I'm ending up at the end of the race. Um, but 
he's not yet at a point where I don't think anybody, including himself, including the team, should be expecting to have these. We, you know, it's his first oval race as an IndyCar driver, and that he didn't. I mean, as a as an Indy Lights driver, I mean, I I raced on. Yeah, I had never raced at Texas my rookie year either, but I had raced on four or five mile and a half ovals in Indy Lights at that point. So, so like showing up to a place like this was not completely out of the realm of what I was used to doing. Um, and the Indy lights racing at that point was not that dissimilar from the IndyCar racing. It just wasn't quite as fast. So I guess all of that is to say, um, overcoming some obstacles, seeing that kind of glimmer of, of, of hope, a, a definite improvement for Dalton over the course of the weekend, to your point, um, I think sort of bolsters the feeling that there's something here we can overcome. We've, we can overcome some stuff without the wheels falling off. We can come out of a weekend like this, even though it didn't by all accounts actually go that well with a pretty good attitude with a, with a uplifted point of view on, all right, this, there was a bunch of reasons that this sort of didn't go right. And we all actually feel pretty good about it. Like there are some things that we can for whatever reason, you know, we're not all downtrodden by the way that this ended up working out. So from that perspective, it's definitely a good thing. And, you know, for me and and my crew and my engineering group and all that kind of stuff, uh, just on the 11 car, definitely a bonus to just have an event. And, and I think for me to, to see the way that guys are racing at a track like this, to sort of observe what was going on, uh, throughout the weekend and just see, how everybody's treating everything, how the other teams are doing things. Uh, it's definitely helpful heading to Indy and, and it will make us better for sure. Yeah, for sure. I think with Kyle as well, it's important to, to kind of point out the St. Pete performance. We didn't really talk too much about that. I don't think on the pod last time. And I think his three outlaps were all good enough to be in the top seven of the race. Something that's really difficult. Obviously, the the tires are freezing cold. You're coming out of the pits. It's a street circuit at St. Pete where you've got to attack the walls. It's something that's really difficult to do. And it was one of the things that we pointed out that made Scott McLaughlin's performance there so impressive when when he won. But Kyle was was equally brilliant in in that department, if not better. And uh, obviously, being on the wrong strategy for that race really hindered him. So two kind of uh, negative results on the scoreboard, but some some positivity to look at for that rookie. So we'll keep an eye on him. I actually can I can I just throw in one more quick shout out. Yeah, of course you can. I also just want to give give us. I also just want to give a super quick shout out to Callum Mylot. Um, it doesn't not going to show up on the stat sheet at the end of the day, but drove around him a fair amount. Just we were all kind of started at the back and and whatever. Um, for that being a one car deal and this being his first oval race, I actually thought he did a really good job. He did a a more than just respectable job out there. I followed him around a couple of times. That that car at times during the race did not look super easy to drive and he kept his foot in it. And, uh, I, I would say some, some definite kudos are, are deserved for he, uh, among a couple other drivers who, you know, I mean, this is, it's a tall order to get out there and, and go do this at Texas at a, at a Texas track. That's not easy. And, uh, you know, I know that he probably didn't finish as high up the order as he might've liked, but, uh, those guys did a good job and, and he in particular, um, I think it'll be somebody to look out for as he gets a little more comfy down the road. Yeah, for sure. Like you said, with the with the one car aspect of that, 
you know, trying to, uh, obviously it's hard enough, as you know, working in a multi-car team to try and get to the bottom of your, your problems over a, a weekend. But obviously Callum's there on his own in that team. So really impressive. Christian Lungard, obviously one of the other rookies that, that did a good job as well. Um, obviously driving for Ray Hall, who had problems at the start of the weekend, but seemed to sort things out for the for the race. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on those two guys as well over the course of the season and, and see how they got on and some of the other types of ovals. Obviously we've got Indy, Iowa and Gateway to come up for the rest of the year. So that'll be really exciting. One last thing to note before we leave you is that the race podcast portfolio is now a part of The Athletic, which JR and I are extremely excited about given the quality of content, both written and audio coming out of The Athletic at the moment. I especially listen to a lot of their football podcasts. So that's very exciting for me. Make sure you download the app and subscribe and follow there to get your latest IndyCar fix. That's uh, that's soccer, by the way. It really pains me to say soccer, but... I should probably uh, <laughs> highlight that, shouldn't I? Because I do like football as well. So, yeah, if there's any New Orleans Saints fans listening to the pod, then then hit me up. And are you 49ers, JR? Niners, all day. Oh, yeah. Less less we say about that, the better. We could probably fill another podcast, <laughs> another podcast <laughs> to the 49ers. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Race IndyCar podcast. And we'll be back soon with another stonking episode to excite your eardrums. Yeah.